0: Hello, Internet. Welcome to part two of our WCA Breakdown podcast. If you haven't heard part one yet, go do that. It's up. It is awesome. Uh, we broke down a whole bunch of fun stuff. I, of course, am your host, uh, Chase Redshirt King Wassener, and I am joined once again by Jen Kennedy from Per 10 Hey, what's up? Josh Burry, the news editor for the uh, for Heroes of the Storm for The Score Esports. Hello and my good friend, Walter Fedchuk, uh, and our one big cognitive
1: advocate in this panel. Cog is going to win it all. Cog right now. I'm a bigger Cog fanboy than I am TSM for all of our League of Legends viewers, so, woo. I'm going to be wearing my jersey. I'm going to be so hyped up for this. I can't wait. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's
0: start there then. I'm going to let you convince us of the cognitive hype train, because it's, as an outsider— who, uh, who's just looking at this is from recent trends, uh, this team had a 45% win rate in November, a 50% win rate in December. They've never had more than 50% uh, overall uh, throughout their history. They failed to qualify despite many different attempts uh, for Heroes of the Storm, uh, the uh, Enter the Storm tournament in North America. Uh, they got second place in this nor- uh, WCA Open uh, thanks to a 2-0 over Panda Global how good is this team, Walter? How much uh, faith can we uh, should we really put in these guys?
1: I think that they are exceptionally talented players, um, but I think they all have their flaws it, in, individually. I think there's flaws, and as a team, I think there's there's still they have some trouble really finding a solid identity. Um, they get you know they get to certain things like the the, the Illidan composition where they were just running Illidan Abathur consistently, and Glaurim was one of the better Illidan players on the planet. Uh, he is definitely a melee assassin, and they struggle quite a bit when melee assassins aren't in the meta. Um, I think, arguably, out of what I've seen from North American teams, they probably prepare. Um, you know, They're probably one of the best teams when it comes to preparing for their opposition. It's just finally figuring out how to catch their opponents off guard and, and following through on things. Uh, the only times that I've seen them when they've prepared for, for, you know, not Cloud9 and not the old Temple Storm roster, when they've prepared for someone like Complexity that they've been, had trouble, is like, that team has caught them off guard. So I would say once they get into picks and bans, if a team does something that they aren't expecting, it, it throws them for a little bit of a loop. But I think they're all extremely talented. I love them all to death. I know them all personally. They're friends of mine. I joke and say, yeah, they're going to win the whole thing. I, I don't think they're going to win the whole thing. I would love to watch them win the whole thing, but I, I still feel like they have some flaws that they still need to figure out and they still need to smooth out a lot of wrinkles for them to be like a really top-tier international team.
2: I, I think those are some good points about Cognitive. I, I think one thing that I've seen from them recently is that um, I, I think they want to play less around Glaurung. I, and I think what, what we're seeing right now is sort of a short-term shift in their play style, away from building compositions around Glaurung all the time. And I think that's good for the team, because there's a lot of other talented players on this roster. Like, I'm a big fan of Iacona. I, I, truly, yeah. believe, I truly believe Icona is one of the best supports in North America. Like, straight up, I, I will say that. He is very adaptable, has really good positioning and, and sort of prediction of when damage is coming in. Um, and he's a great guy. He's a, he's a really friendly guy. Um, so they have him. I really like Hospital a lot. I think he's very underrated, um, especially when you look at the North America scene as a whole. I think he's a very underrated player.
1: Thank, so you, for, ha- thank you for saying that, Josh. Thank you for saying that, because I agree with you there.
2: No, I, I, I honestly believe it. Um, he has a very good grasp of the game. Um, I encourage you, if you ever see him at an event, pick his brain a little bit. He's very friendly, and, and he's very underrated as a player so i think it's good for the team as a whole that they're starting to move away from just sort of like building compositions around Glaurung. i think that if they can refocus and have a more balanced play style they do have enough talent to get results will that happen at this event specifically i I can't say definitely yes but i'd love to see it i i'm not sure that that will be the case in this particular event though
3: yeah, exactly, Josh. I think if you want to, you know, go to international events and have some good success, you need to find some different styles to play. You know, like, obviously you have your one style you're comfortable in, and that is to play around Glauron to get the Illidan, the Kerrigan, the Butchers, you know, the things like that. But if you can have some good players like they do, you can build uh, other compositions around them, and you can kind of use the strength of the team And on the Iacona point, I think that he is probably one of the best Bright Wings. I think Dunk Train is a better Bright Wing, but to constantly keep a melee assassin player like Laurong alive all the time and to pick the Malfurion, to pick the Bright Wing, he has to know exactly when he can, you know, as a Bright Wing, you have to know when you can phase in, when you can blink shift in. If you, like, blink heal in and then you instantly get CC'd, then you're just not a good Bright Wing player. And I think that Iacona knows exactly when to keep Glaron alive and when to keep the rest of his team alive.
1: I, I would argue to you guys, and, and I have some you know, insider knowledge. I've watched them scrim, I've watched them cock. I think these five players, and I, I don't have as much experience with Syracuse, but I think across the board, these five players are some of the most flexible players on the planet. Um, I think at any point, like Iacona could play Assassin they could like if if you told me tomorrow that they'd like shifted all their different positions and made Glaura a support player like all five of those players can play any character in the game at any position and i think it just comes down to they need to just find their comfort level and not just try and stick you know not just have one strategy but expand to where they have multiple strategies that they can use because they're so flexible and and their coach uh came in after i i left and i wasn't around them anymore. He's done a a lot of really good work with the team and some of the preparation that i've seen that they have for this tournament is is really like really professional sports level, you know, talent stuff where he's, you know, finding finding little intricacies like which direction does, you know, does this player tend to go when he's escaping a gank? Like it's really really interesting stuff. So I think for this tournament they probably aren't gonna aren't gonna do anything crazy and win it or take top 4 but looking towards next year I think this is a really really interesting team in North America when you get into these like regional circuit events.
0: Yeah, no, it's a very interesting squad when you just look at the sheer number of heroes that each of these guys play. The as you said the versatility here is 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 simply fun to watch. Uh, and we've seen a, a couple scrims. I believe there was one that was leaked to the Heroes of the Storm subreddit today against Murloc Geniuses. Unfortunately, it was one that didn't go their way. But it's uh, it's always interesting just to see um, you know how these teams approach these kind of things and how especially you know teams like Cognitive that are just waiting to figure out how to take that next step that have you know these pieces and the organizational infrastructure set up to take that leap. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be fun to see whether they can, from a talent perspective, uh, really get to that next step. Josh, what are you really hoping to see from them at the end of the day? What do you think is a uh, realistic hope for these guys?
2: I mean, I think that they could definitely surprise some teams. And part of that is going to depend on actually what Walter mentioned, uh, the new coach and also having Syracuse on the team. Um, I had a chance to speak with Syracuse uh, and the, their new coach. Um, ...whose handle is Excites, and I was pretty impressed by both of their game knowledge. I have to admit, when I f- first saw Syracuse playing with Cognitive, I wasn't impressed by the cohesion. But that's something that you, you like—you just have to work out by playing. Um, they had both come over from Bang Bang, which was like an amateur team that formed... Um, ...sort of during, like, after the, hey, we didn't make it to BlizzCon sort of moment, a lot of players started forming these teams... And I'm really impressed by Excites. He has a history in Dota, like original Dota. Um, he has a very sort of analytical approach to things, like Walter mentioned. Very excited. I, I'm very excited to see where that takes the team as a whole. And I wouldn't be surprised if the move away from building comps around Glaurung was not partially due to his input. Because, like, like Jen said, you can't... It's hard to win internationally when other teams can watch two replays of your team and say, well, we just got to ban this guy out and then we'll be okay.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely fair. You know, the versatility that they've managed to, uh, to learn from and, and this new kind of change in philosophy, I think is something that makes them exciting. And especially now that the entire hope of North America as a region is laying on their shoulders, it'll be very interesting to see how they perform here. Uh, On the other hand, you have Liquid, who, unless you're a huge G2 believer, uh, is probably the best hope that we have for Europe in this particular tournament. This is a team that, you know, we saw win Fragbite with that reverse sweep over Fnatic. Uh, And ever since then, it's been consistently getting second place after second place finish as they've just been unable to overcome the Fnatic hurdle. Now, Jen, when you look at how Liquid has been playing recently, do you think that it's a particular matchup that Fnatic brings there that's just kind of become a mental roadblock for this team? Or do you think that Fnatic has exposed some key flaws that are holding this team back in the long run?
3: Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I think Fnatic has a really good roster, so it's not surprising that Liquid is struggling to beat them. Um, But I think Liquid also has some troubles when it comes to drafting specifically against Fnatic. I saw a few games in DreamHack where they just lost via the draft. You know when you just pick Tassadar's solo support, which uh, Gerd he really likes. If you pick that into a Kel'Thuzas, you know, and you and you don't win the early game, you're gonna have some trouble late game. If you pick the solo, you know, support Tyrande, and you don't win the early game, you're gonna have some. You're gonna struggle in the late game. And um, they have some certain, you know, map picks. Last time we talked about specifically Dragonshire, where they lost. All of their games on it, except for one game against G2, and they just their early game is a little bit questionable. And some of their priorities with drafting, you know, if Lowell doesn't get the um, Sonia, he and he doesn't get this uh, damage Karazim that he really likes, which is I think is a really good pick and a really surprise can be a really surprising pick for some, especially some of these Chinese teams who don't hold Karazim in a high respect as a support in general, this damage Karazim, I think if he doesn't get... If Lowell doesn't get the Karazim or the Sonia, he almost automatically transitions to Thrall, and that could be a pick that, you know, you can play around. You can, you know, if you know that Liquid are going to pick up Thrall, you can draft things specifically around that. So I think Fnatic did a good job kind of exposing Liquid, but I think Liquid can still, you know, they still have a good chance. They're obviously the hope of Europe, but I think they have a pretty good chance in this tournament.
0: Yeah, it's it's certainly a team that when they win, it feels very fluid. It's almost like, uh, you know, I, I made this analogy before about like almost watching a river just kind of flow over teams. They just take these early game advantages and, you know, when when it goes well enough, when they stay even or slightly ahead it just becomes a very easy transition for them into the mid-to-late game, which is where that team has shined so far. But at the same time, when it doesn't work out so well for them in that early game, and they do have struggles like we've seen on maps like Dragonshire, where it requires a lot of early game coordination, it has been a problem for this team. Walter, when you look at, you know, this is obviously a very different liquid from the liquid that used to run Europe for quite some time. When you look at how all these pieces have come together, what are you most excited by you know Lowell's champion pool is often cited as, as something that's you know tons of fun to watch and and can keep teams on their toes. but what are the other things that you know you've noticed that really helped this team stand out as a european power so
1: this is this is one of these things where I was bringing up in the last podcast about how Edward Gaming had been playing like a lot of Falstad, and Falstad is like a really huge European pick. And Liquid is kind of you know they're they're the standard bearer for Europe, other than Fnatic. Most interesting thing to me is which which kind of meta, which kind of style. This very like aggressive Korean and Chinese style, where it's all these early game rotations and all you know, getting all these objectives and getting all the all the this, the camps and all this. Or this kind of like liquid style where they're willing to take kind of a beating in this early game to get to a late game, and they try and they try and just delay you, and get to the point where they're confident in their play style. That's what's really interesting to me is which which style is going to work. Is it that when, you're, when Liquid is against a team like MVP Black, that MVP Black is going to just steamroll over them? Versus when Liquid plays against a team like Braveheart or a team like Cognitive, are they going to be able to set the tempo and make everything slow down until you know, they're winning these like, very drawn-out, methodical games? So that, that's probably the thing that interests me most, is which tempo, uh, which tempo of gameplay is better... In terms of, can, I guess the argument is, can tempo can Liquid's kind of slower tempo beat uh, a less talented but faster-paced team? Is, I guess, what I'm getting at. Yeah,
0: and it'll be very interesting to see kind of how these things match up. We have seen China, especially teams like star which we're going to get to in a little bit, have such hugely aggressive early games. You know, Josh, when you're looking at, you know, how these kind of metas interact with each other and some of the you know, some of the flaws that Liquid has shown in, in some of China's strengths, what can they do to mitigate that and kind of you know, as Walter said, put the control back in their favor uh, and kind of slow things down to their own pace?
2: That's actually exactly what I wanted to touch on, which is that I I think that Liquid has had very good team fight shot calling like, calling when to use an ability or when to engage, but their macro shot calling, like, where where you should be at this point in time, what we're doing, are we taking this keep? Are we going core? Um, are you split-pushing as Falstad? A lot of that at Dreamhack was, was honestly very underwhelming. Um, and I remember specifically a game on Garden of Terror where... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, you you remember it? They they tried to go core, but then they were like, "No, we're not going core." And then Vortex was like, "I'm coming in, boys!" And he like came out of a bush and immediately just face planted into the enemy team, like, it, like, and that's I honestly think that's a growing pain because the macro part of the game is something that like you have to build around your team, in my opinion. Like you, like what you're going to do at any given point in time is primarily. Based on what you know your team is capable of. And when they're in team fights, I think they look pretty crisp. They look very comfortable. Um, Gaird is basically, he has basically been unleashed on, on this team. Um, I, I think he's an incredible support and he's doing a great job on this team. And Chris is just as good or better than he was on Raw Cat. So I think what, what Liquid should really aim to do is when you're in the late game, just. Just take a moment, breathe deep before you make the call, mm-hmm. because there have been there have been some calls where you're just like that. That was hard to watch, um, but otherwise, I think this is a super exciting team, and I think they have the talent to go deep in this tournament. Uh, certainly, as you guys mentioned, that they are the hope of EU, and if any European team is going to get to the finals, it, it's going to be this one.
3: Yeah, I think uh, the casters at DreamHack mentioned that Garrett is their shot caller, I think. So he is like one of the new members on the team, and then you're having him shot call. And, you know, he was previously on a team, Pirates in Pajamas, who were not, you know, they weren't top EU. So I think this is something that they just need to sit down and play a little bit more with each other and get the macro kind of ideas down that they want to do and when they want to do it, all these things. And then they'll be, a top, they'll be able to take games off Fnatic more consistently and, you know, represent Europe when they go to international tournaments.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's very fair. It's going to be interesting to me to see how much of their experience from these Fnatic series, as they've met time and time again now, is going to have helped them grow uh, in that regard. Uh, I, for one, am very excited to see how it matches up stylistically here, whether they are going to be able to stand up to some of the the bigger-ish, you know, these these very strong macro teams that have a very good understanding of pick-and-ban phase. Um, And now we move on to a team that's very much that, this MVP Black, which, you know, it's uh, a team that... If you looked on Gosu Gamers, you'd be like, oh, they haven't played since, you know, they got their their WCA Asia qualifier. They got second place in the Super League, and since there was only one spot for Korea, that wasn't enough to qualify for the uh, world championship. But if you looked at the Invin Community Open, what they've been doing recently, uh, they have a 100% win rate in November and December. They have been on fire against these Korean teams, which, you know, it's hard to say right now how good Korea is compared to the rest of the world. But given that this was a team that for a while, you know, was kind of thought to be the best team in the world, and now you're, you know, looking at them doing, basically picking up where they left off. You know, Walter, when you look at this team, is this this the team to beat just from you know, the standpoint of of what they've been able to do historically as a unit or has enough time kind of passed that maybe they aren't quite the team that we
1: thought they were a couple months ago? So at at this point, I uh, I think we can knock them a little bit from where they were at MSI just because they haven't played against a lot of against any international competition. And it makes it kind of hard for us to read where they match up against Chinese teams or European teams or North American teams. I still think we have to consider them the favorites because in their region they've been so undeniably dominant. Like like you said, they're you know a hundred percent win ratio in this community open, uh, and they have an eighty one percent win rate. Uh, they have an eighty one percent win rate in it overall, but a hundred percent win ratio in the past two months. That's you know Korea is a pretty strong cop, You know pretty strong region there's pretty strong competition there so you can't just say well they haven't played against chinese teams they haven't played against european teams they can't haven't played against north america teams so yeah who cares we we have to view that and say they're dominating their region we still have to respect that and understand that they're you know a really really strong team i personally think they're still one of the one of the favorites in this tournament whether they've you know played any good competition you know any real international competition since pax um you know or, or whatever so i I think they're probably uh the they're they're my second team in this competition behind another team in this group so i'm I'm excited to see how they're going to match up against the Chinese teams especially
0: yeah well that's the thing right you know we've seen them in Nexus cups before do quite well, and one of the things that I really loved about them back in the day is that they were you know they were one of the first teams to really make. Uh, Abathur work. They were one of the first teams to do this triple warrior comp, which we saw happen at BlizzCon and really take a lot of things by storm. You know, if it wasn't for that loss to DK, this is the team that a lot of people thought was had the potential to win BlizzCon, and given the way that, you know, DK's ego kind of led them to throw away some games at that tournament, it, it's one of the bigger what-ifs, uh, along with the what-if E-Star didn't have visa issues question from that tournament. Uh, but you know, when you're looking at this team, uh, Josh, when you're looking at what they've been able to do, you know, Saki's just been so good on the on the Jaina historically. Uh, Mary Day has been uh, one of the most acclaimed supports in Korea. And you've got, you know, Kyocha, who can pretty much play anything at this point. What, do you, what, what are the players that you really are going to be looking for to step up if they're going to be a team that has the potential to win this tournament?
2: I think primarily for me, um, obviously there's a lot of talent on this team, but for me, Sake and, and Merry Day are, are the ones that I really think have the, the potential to create a massive impact for this team. I don't really want to talk about Merry because I have a feeling that Jen has a couple things to talk about <laughs> for Merry Day, so I'm not going to go into that. But I, I think one thing I really like about Sake is that his, his command of the characters that he plays, it, it's almost oppressive when you're in a lane against him, Um, he has a very, very good micro, like in terms of stutter stepping. And and I I mean, he makes his opponents look very taken aback a lot of the time. And I, and I love that. I I love that. And I've heard that about a lot of Korean players. When I was at BlizzCon, uh, Cloud9 talking about SCSC said like, you, you just, you feel like he's all over you basically and i feel like sake is that same kind of player when you're in a lane with him you you can't believe that he manages to get these autos in against you and he moves away from you and it, i i don't know i i really appreciate that sort of confidence from a player and I, and i think that he would be primarily the one i'd be watching
3: yeah uh, before I you know start into merry day definitely about Saka is he has an amazing Vala. he is one of those people that you know that you watch and that he just has this you know mastery of a hero that he just pushes it as far as he can to get as much damage he is one of those Jaina players that almost always takes icy vein and almost never the ice block he is about the flanking he is about you know getting all that damage down and um, I think that he is going to be one of the biggest players for MVP Black. And about Merry Day, I'll just, you know, kind of keep it quick, but he is a great support. When Bakery, probably most people consider him the best Kharazim, when Bakery says that he enjoyed watching Merry Day play Kharazim, I remember they had one game on Infernal Shrines that, like, Mary Day just managed to keep everyone alive and, you know, like, people just walk away from the fight with barely any health left. And, like, when Bakery says that you are a great Kerosene player, like, you are a great Kerosene player, and you're a good support. And one of the biggest things that I think MVP Black can, you know, do to kind of cement cement this kind of idea that they are a top team is in Korea, they had the best drafting. Easily the best drafting they Rarely took time off the clock. They immediately knew, like, okay, these people pick Muradin first pick. We're going to pick, you know, Kael'thas, Tyrande. We're going to go into these things. They know exactly what they want to do, and they also brought out a lot of new picks. They were one of the first teams to run Raynor. I remember at the MSI, like, they picked Raynor, and everyone was like, wait, what? We were kidding about Rainer. Like, nobody picks him anymore. And so they they picked the Raynor. They're really good at that. I remember they picked... They're one of the first teams to pick the Butcher with Lamb to the Slaughter. And so that's a really nice pick for them. Um, They've picked Tychus before. I am not really hyped for Tychus. But, you know, they always pick these interesting, you know, carries that can, you know, throw a kind of wrench into the entire game plan. And you don't play against them. You don't know what, you know, what they're going to do, what the plan is. So I think MVP Black has a lot of room to grow in a tournament that allows the, that when they come into a tournament where nobody has seen them recently.
0: Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see how pick and ban goes for them. You know, they were known basically throughout all of last year for having this incredible pick and ban phase, but then it gets to the super league finals and you look at how they handled pick and ban against DK and you saw the nerve sneak in. And it was one of those things where you could just tell that they'd never been in that spot. And they didn't have the confidence in themselves to follow through on the compositions that had really gotten them there. They played it a little bit too safe. They gave up, you know, a couple picks that they really should have been able to see coming. And I want to see, you know, when they're playing a team like E-Star, when they're playing a team like EDG, can they keep their head on straight? Can they play their style of game? Because we know that they can play, you know, when they're playing to the best of their ability they are one of the scariest teams the Heroes of the Storm has to offer. It's a matter of, are they going to allow themselves to get there? Are they going to allow themselves to play that kind of game? And, and one more little thing, because I think that, you know, with Mary Day and Saki on this team, it can sometimes be overlooked. But I, I want to appreciate how lockdown has, you know, really, you know, been able to, make a move on, you know, improve upon his hero pool uh, in the sense that, you know, Zeratul and Illidan used to be his bread and butter. And as soon as these melee assassins stopped being as scary, he's like, oh, I'll just play Sonya then. And if you really need me to, I'll play Joanna. And he's done both of those incredibly efficiently in this community open. And it just means that he has so many different options and and ways of, you know, using his aggressive nature to kind of take you apart. Um, a team that maybe hasn't had that kind of bloodthirsty, aggressive nature recently is Braveheart, a team that is very, let's say, hot and cold to be uh, to be kind in, in their current situation. They've got a 25% win rate this month, 50% win rate in November, only 53% all-time. Uh, people probably know them from how they did at Worlds, uh, but again, three of those guys were on EDG, so it's not really the same team that we saw there and since then it's been some struggling they did well at the uh at the NESO tournament but uh they got the 2-0 victory over EDG but since then uh 2-0 loss to all gamers got them fifth place in NEST they got fifth place at ECL thanks to losing 2-0 to zero and e star in group a uh and seventh place in the gold series thanks to a 3-0 loss to team YL which is one of those things That you wouldn't expect to happen. Now, Jen, you've been all in on the China hype. Where do you land on Braveheart right now? Is this a team that, you know, has just kind of had a couple off games and has the ability to bounce back? Or is this a serious concern heading into this tournament?
3: Uh, I think it's a big concern for them. Honestly, I give them a slight lead over. You know, like they they aren't going to beat Eastar, They aren't going to beat MVP Black. But like they're kind, of, they're around the the Team Liquid. I think them and Team Liquid can be um, pretty competitive. And depending on what Cognitive has um, done in the off season, I think those three teams can be even with each other. But Braveheart are like you said. They're so hot and cold. They, you know, sometimes they look great. I think Exia is a really good, uh, you know, he's normally just plays the Zagara, and I think there's a reason for him, you know, playing the Zagara. It's a really good pick in this uh, meta, and I think he has some good games on it. And other times, if he doesn't get the Zagara, he's just, he looks a little lost. You know, he has to default to that Vala, and sometimes it's not that good. So I think that, you know, Braveheart has... They're one of those teams I think that is kind of looking for a star player, you know. You looked at their roster and you say, you know, eh, I don't I don't know if I notice any of these names. They're they're kind of just lost among all the other like big names in the um scene and that they're just they're kind of middle of the pack, but they're not consistent enough to be middle of the pack is the problem.
2: I I don't know. I have to say as a strong adherent of euphoria that team liquid is if they whoa, whoa, if whoa, they face eva-
1: no, no 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 do not bring that phrase over here no <laughs> i'm telling you no no
2: i will i promise that's, not to say it again i pro- no. <laughs> no i'm
1: sorry
2: i'm sorry veteran i uh, shout out to veteran I, i'm sorry i can't use it um but no seriously team liquid's going to beat this team if they play. yeah okay,
3: i can Yeah, I can believe that. I don't, like, they have, Braveheart has really good games, you know, where they beat EDG, and then they have really bad games where they lose to YL. So if I had to pick someone, I'd definitely pick Liquid. But Braveheart can just, you know, today we're going to have a good game, you know? So.
2: (laughs) I just really worry about this team when you look at their record with heroes that are more cooldown focused, like Kael'thas and Jaina, heroes that are pretty important in the current meta. Mm-hmm. The The record does not look good. And to me, like, if you don't have somebody who can get on Kael'thas, like, and and just change the game after level 13, it starts to look pretty bad. And then, I mean, if you look at Bao, I actually thought Bao did pretty well at BlizzCon, but his recent record on Jaina, not spectacular. So, I know Jaina's no longer, like, a first pick, first ban, but still very important in the current meta, especially if you're running like a crowd control heavy comp that's aiming to blow someone up. So I don't know. I like I honestly think that it is going to be a hard road for this team. And I don't know. I have to give I like you said, you give the edge to liquid. I, I think liquid is going to is going to do a really, really strong performance against this team. Um, I, I think liquid has a variety of picks that they can go to as well. That will really surprise this team.
1: I I feel like Cognitive matches up really well on this team. Like, you, you say uh, Exia is... And, and just, you know, I'm looking at his, his play style, he seems like he really doesn't like to group. Like, he wants to be very split-push heavy. He wants to be very, you know, try and try and take down towers early. Uh, he's not very good at it. Outside of the Zagara, his Vala is pretty uninspiring. His Tassadar and his Sylvanas, which are two others in that kind of I'm-just-going-to-go-split-push mode, you know, by myself. And, you know, you guys take care of everything else are inspiring, you know, a, a two and eight record on Sylvanas is like, how do you lose on that character? <laughs> I, I I you know, I, I don't play a lot of the game, but just like how do you how are you two and eight on Sylvanus just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I think because of the versatility that that Glaurin has being able to play like Zaratol, and I will argue that he's the best Zaratol player in the world. And I don't think anybody can I don't think you can put someone ahead of me that I'm gonna say no, you know, oh yeah, okay, maybe you're correct. Like they can take a lot of advantage of that because that, ve- that reads to me very... It's very telegraphed that, hey, we just want to get on Zagara and we want to split push. And, you know, Glauron is so balls to the wall that he doesn't care if you're playing Zagara. He doesn't care, you know, if you're underneath your keep trying to survive and just, you know, push things out. Like, he'll, he'll go off and he'll kill you. He'll hunt you down. He'll kill you. It doesn't matter. So I think Cogniz... I think Braveheart while they are very hot and cold, I just think that they're just extremely telegraphed. And I think both of the Western teams in this in this group can take advantage of that.
0: I think that's very fair. My big concern with Braveheart is that, you know, what you brought up about being uh, just such a predictable kind of team. We know exactly what... A braveheart comp looks like. It has the Zagar for the split pushing. It has the Tyrael for the inevitable team fights. You get the sanctification down. Uh, you get something like a Muradin for some stuns, and you get away with you know s- you know the rest of this team. You c- you can get away with not being a spectacular Kal'Thas when you have some opportunities there. Uh, at the same time, it comes down to maps at a certain point with this. There are teams that can split push very well. Uh, and there are maps where that is available to you. Something like the Haunted Mines that can work out well. You know, Tomb of the Spider Queen. There, are, there are big maps like that in which it can work out. But I'm not sure if I can consistently uh, trust that in a tournament like this, where they're going to have to do it on many different maps,
3: some of which it just does not work out as well. The maps for Braveheart is that. China almost every single you know, like game one is almost always on Infernal Shrines and Game Two is almost always on Battlefield of Eternity. I don't I think I've seen one Blackhearts Bay and maybe like two or three Garden of Terrors. Like I think China has a really particular style when it comes to map choices. You know, it goes the Infernal Shrines and then the and then the Battlefield of Eternity and then maybe Tomb of the Spider Queen or something like that, Sky Temple, but never Blackheart Spade, never like almost never um, Garden of Terror, and like sometimes they throw in the Cursed Hollow in there. I think, especially if Team Liquid can get like they are a great Garden of Terror team. Obviously, they play Lost Vikings all the time. You know, they can play the Infernal Shrines against the Chinese teams. I think if these Western teams can play the maps that the Chinese teams play often really well, that if the Chinese teams can't play on Garden of Terror, or as well as the Western teams on uh, Sky Temple, I think that you know Liquid and Complexity have a good job, good shot of you know beating a pretty lacklustre Chinese team in Braveheart.
0: Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Liquid and Cognitive can really take apart uh, what Braveheart is doing right now. Certainly, there are some holes to be exploited, but again, this is a Chinese meta that has appeared very strong. It's something that's thrown even such a great team as Cloud9, uh, which was the world champion, off their game a little bit. Uh, You know, I mentioned earlier, though, that the funny thing about that world championship was that there were two great what-ifs that we had to come away from. The first is what if there were two Korean seeds and we had MVP Black at that tournament? But the second is what if E-Star didn't have the visa issues that they did? And when you look at this team, they have been 100% in major events in November. 75% win rate this month. They have an 82% win rate as a team. They got first place in the China BlizzCon qualifier. Uh, they had first place in the NEST tournament where they took a two-one over YL. They are the winner of Group A in the current ESL uh, series. In China, and they are in the Gold Series Grand Finals after 3-0-ing Cloud9, taking a 3-2 over 0, and a 3-1 over EDG. Uh, Jen, when you look at this team, I I think it's safe to say that this is one of the most aggressive early game teams that we have ever seen in the Heroes of the Storm. How are they able to so consistently pull off these kinds of, you know, big kill, big experience leads and, you know, what does that say for them, you know, for this tournament as they as they go against some teams in this group that maybe aren't as used to this fast paced style of play?
3: Yeah, I think personally they are my pick to win, obviously. I'm all about E Star. I think their support. Tiger is a great player. I rarely see him miss and ancestral healings and I think it'll be a big um pick for them. Uh Estar has the funny ability to just get experience leads. You know, like you'll just everybody's just soaking the lanes, you know, just going about their business and suddenly Estar just have this tiny experience. See, so they just understand exactly what they want to do with their composition. They know when they're strong, they know when the other team's strong. Say the other team has an Abathur or something. They know that they need to quickly get the objective and go back to their lanes to make sure that Abathur isn't soaking, isn't effectively giving the other team an advantage, and I really like their picks as a team. They have a good... I think they have a really wide and diverse um, hero pools. They have a lot of people that can play the popular heroes like Sylvanas and the Jaina, Zagara, Like They just have these really good picks that they can always rely on and they can always get at least one of them you know if the other team bans out Sylvanas you know you can get the Jaina if the other team bans out something else you can get the Zagara you know they always have picks that they can fall back on that they are still good on And I think that is one of the biggest things that a strong team needs is they need big hero pools if you're Heroes, you know, if they get banned out, you need to have something to rely on. Or if they're not quite good against some of the other teams, you know, if you're playing an Asmodan, you don't want to go up against a Kerrigan or something like that. You need things to fall back on. And I think that's what E Star really has.
0: Well, that's one of the things. And you, you look at a team when you have that much sustained success for as long as they've had it. And obviously, this is a young scene. So when I say as long as they've had this success, I'm talking about, a, you know, a year's worth of sample size of games. So obviously it's, it's taken with a little bit of a grain of salt compared to some other esports that have been around for longer. But this is a team that has proven, regardless of the meta, to be able to come up with power picks, to be able to come up with counters for what the other team is doing. And the fact that they're able to have these good early games, even when picking compositions that you wouldn't necessarily consider to be strong early game compositions, they just always seem to be in a place to you know, to succeed in the late game and to, and to be in control when you're looking at these objectives, to be the team that is dictating the pace and forcing the other team to make a play. And when you can put yourself in that position as consistently as they do, then it's a matter of, well, the other team has to play perfect and you have to make a mistake or else things are going to go well. And, and historically, you know, they have been very good at minimizing those kinds of, mistakes. Josh, when, when you look at this team and, and how they're able to play cohesively as a unit, especially around those objectives, is there, is there anything that you think you know, teams could maybe try to attack to throw them off of this you know, controlling, oppressive, you know, early to mid-game style? Or do you think that this is one of those things where you've got to find another way to attack it?
2: I think you got to shut down Shao um, that guy, a player after my own heart, truly playing aggressive warriors, uh, even some assass, some like melee assassins. Maybe my favorite kind of player in Heroes of the Storm is like the melee sort of flex. And even though he's technically like a warrior player, um, he he plays a lot, and he he's very good, and he gets to play high impact heroes like Sonya. Um, sometimes he plays Tyrael, although I think recently he has not been the one playing Tyrael for the team. I think like he is not only like their captain, but a big part of why they're able to take fights decisively. And for me, just a joy to watch. Like I, I just I like watching him play a lot when I do get the chance to watch Chinese heroes, um, and he. Honestly, if you can if you can get him out of the fight early, I think it's going to help your team a lot. Um, and th- that might even be an understatement. Honestly, he's he's a great player.
0: He's been so much fun to watch, and you know, I always you know Anubarak is one of my favorite you know guys, uh, ch- yeah. heroes I should say as, as a whole. And he's been so good on that hero, Jen. When when you look at Zhao T in particular, I, you know this has got to be. You know, like, like Josh said, just such a fun guy to watch. What is it that you think really sets him above some of these other Chinese teams that has allowed Eastar to be such a huge threat in that scene?
3: I think definitely his Sonya. His Sonya is really good. And One of the most interesting thing about Chinese Sonias is normally, you know, you see the Western Sonias they go for the Wrath of the Berserker, which some Chinese teams still do, and you really worry about them, you know, getting in your back line and kind of just constantly being there. These Chinese teams tend to, especially Xiaoti, he picks Leap on Sonya, and often uh, another star player will pick Tyrael and they'll pick Judgment and they will combo both of them and then you will just lose one of your backline players like I don't know how many poor Rainers poor Zagaras like they have just been blown up by this leap and I think it is a really like interesting pick to just secure a kill like Sony just leaps on you and they just automatically all know this is the person that we're targeting this is the person that we're going after and they're just going to die
0: yeah, no, he's been, it's, it's been pretty incredible. And you combine that now with, uh, Jingxi, who has now added this Falstad to his list of things he can do. He had almost never played Falstad before the, uh, recent gold series and ECL tournaments. And now we're seeing what that adds to this team. You know, you've now taken a team that was already so good at uh, taking the fights they want and making the most out of them with those stuns, with those you know perfectly timed you know crowd control abilities. And now you add this mighty gust that just you know can turn things around. And we've seen turn so many fights around in these tournaments, Walter. When you look at how this team has evolved, you know. Are, are they the scariest team for you in your mind? Or do you have a... You know, are, are there other teams that you'd look at that you think can, uh, can innovate in and kind of match them in that way?
1: Th- this is by far the scariest team in my mind in this tournament. Um, I think Edward Gaming has a very good chance at beating them. I think MVP, uh, MVP Black has a very good chance of beating them. But overall, this, this is my favorite to win everything. Just, let's see, since, since November... Uh, since like you know late late November, they've lost one, two, three, four, five—only five maps and only yeah. one series. And this kind of dominance is like just ridiculous, and you have to argue, you know—argue that China is the strongest region, uh, top to bottom, in the world. And the fact that they're dominating that region so heavily, you have to give them credit where credit is due. So it kind of comes down to Edward Gaming has a lot more experience against them. So they probably know, you know, subtle little nuances that they can, you know, do in pick and ban phase or or in talent trees or during the game to go after them. Or MVP Black, I think, just has kind of the sheer talent that they stand a very good chance going up against them. But but Eastar is definitely my personal favorite for this tournament, and I love their that like the atom is their logo. Like it's really it's a really funky logo.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's got this weird kind of like. You know, it's like it's almost the Jewish star, but it's got a crescent moon in there. I don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I just love it. It's got a, it's got a great mix of things to it. I, them, them, and the cognitive logo. I know this isn't a. If we were doing things yeah. based on logos, I think it would be uh, a very different power ranking than what we're going to end up with. But, uh, <laughs> but it is very interesting. Jen, uh, anything you want to say before we close out on East Star and go to our final predictions?
3: Yeah, just one more point on uh, Xiao Ti. Another reason just to love him besides. Playing a which I agree is one of my favorite heroes, is that you know he plays the Anubrac, he and then he goes uh, super aggressive with the Sonia, and then he plays something like Tassadar. Like, what <laughs> what's up with that? Like, that is just like the perfect. That's like one of your perfect players. If they can just play a tank, they can just play something super aggressive, and then they just play something like Tassadar. I don't know. Just that's just, just
1: go Archon full damage Tassadar.
3: It, sometimes they do. Star does pick Archon a bit. It's really interesting.
2: Nice. It's it's actually kind of funny that you mentioned that about uh, Xiao T playing Tassadar because it it's a weird melee flex player role where if they're playing a Tassadar alongside a second support, oftentimes that means that they have to shift over to Tassadar, which actually happens a lot in NA. And it's always hilarious to see, like, McIntyre playing Tassadar. And I'm just like, that seems <laughs> like such yeah. a waste, you know? <laughs> but, I mean, at a certain point, Somebody has to play the Tassadar, and if your support's playing something else, then you know.
3: The funny thing about uh Ti is he's also their uh, Lost Vikings player too. So he plays the Nubarak, he plays the Sonya, and then he plays Tassadar and Lost Vikings.
0: Yeah, no. Sometimes you just get those little uh, those little picks that can stand out and, and help give your team that kind of identity. But uh, but I think that's that's about it for these teams. It's time to do everyone's favorite part make predictions that will undoubtedly prove to be incorrect and get mocked by the internet later. Uh, we'll start with you, Josh. How do you see this group shaping up 1-5, uh, to five, assuming that this is indeed the format at the end of the day?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I have to expect it won't be the format, but if I had to list them off, I'd say probably I, I'm going to put East Star first. They seem so dominant. Um, there's just so much to like about this team. So I'd say East Star first. With MVP Black second, um, yeah. There's definitely some questions about you know their performance at the end of the Korean regionals, in the draft specifically, as well as not a lot of international competition recently. But still, um, I think that they're a very strong team and will probably be the second one out of the group. And I'm going, I'm putting Liquid third. Um, and I mean, if anyone wants to challenge that, feel free. But I feel like Liquid, you know, yes, they've lost some sets against Fnatic. I feel like a lot. A lot of that is the matchup against Fnatic. Um, I feel like Liquid's going to bring a lot to the table. It's going to surprise the other teams in this group, and uh, I I feel like they're a very strong team. After that, um, it's kind of a toss-up. I mean, it could be Cognitive, could be Braveheart at the four and five. I'm actually also kind of a big Cognitive fan. Um, so, I mean, I would like to see them do well. I, and as I said before, I think there's a lot of talent on the team that isn't talked about. So it'd be great for some of that to be showcased. Um, but yeah, I think Braveheart has like, it's almost like a nothing to lose situation for Braveheart. So it might be interesting to see if they try some weird stuff, but I mean, I don't really have any indication that that would be the case.
3: I think it's easy for one and two, obviously Star and MVP Black. I just think that they're head and shoulders above the other teams right now, and they just have, a lot of strong points, uh, I'd, I'll go with Liquid third. Uh, sometimes Liquid betray me by trying to backdoor through the front door, but you know, we'll just go with Liquid. And then I think, I actually really think Cognitive. I think Braveheart have a bad matchup specifically against Cognitive, because most of the Chinese teams are extremely aggressive, so that's, you know, the Chinese stereotype, always early game, always aggressive. And I don't understand how you can be cognitive at their own game. So I think it's going to be cognitive and then Braveheart.
1: Uh, no, I, I'm going I'm to differ just ever so slightly. I'm going to let my bias show through. I think one and two, it's, it's pretty safe to say it's, it's Eastar than MVP Black. I am actually going to say cognitive is going to be Team Liquid. I think cognitive is going to take third. I think, um, think it will be very, very close. Series, but I think cognitive can force Team Liquid to sort of speed up their play and kind of use their flexibility to to catch Liquid off guard. Uh, and then I think Liquid will be forced. And I think Braveheart, Braveheart's really inter- is really weird to me because if like they get a really really good first game, that blows it all out of the water because they're such a such a streaky team. But I'm I'm just gonna say. Stay safe and go Cog3, Liquid4,
0: Braveheart5. Well, there you go. Look, we we needed someone to differ on this top five, so I'm glad that you're willing to, to put your cognitive bias out on the line. I, uh, I'm i going to go with, with Josh and Jen on this. I just, E-Star right now just looks so good. I think MVP Black might be the second-best team here. Uh, and then you look at just what Liquid is able to do. I just have a lot of faith in them. Uh, Josh, do you want to say anything before we go into our final prediction?
2: I just wanted to point out that I think one thing that is in Walter's favor in regards to Cognitive doing well against Liquid is that I think Cognitive is more like Fnatic than some people would give them credit for and maybe not in terms of like overall play level like right now but I think there are some similarities between Fnatic and Cognitive in terms of the matchup as it would relate to Team Liquid, so I, I think that that actually is a good point. But I still think, like, I, I still think Liquid is gonna is gonna manage to
1: take third. Sorry, Walter.
0: It's going to be a very close series, no matter what. Now, before
1: we wrap up, it, and it, before it's, it... it's okay. I've seen their I've seen their dossier on Liquid. <laughs> That's all I have to say. See, I love how them call it a on
0: dossier because it. it really feels like this is like Mission Impossible style. Like Liquid's going to have to like have Chris come in and like you know, the typical spy suit and try to steal it before the series. The, you
3: know, well, they it, probably it, take away all the information. All
0: information. Liquid would know anyways. Well, no, it's, it, it's just to prevent them from having it. It's like, it's not, I, it's like most it's spies. on the internet, you can't, like,
1: it's, it's, a, it's in a Google <laughs> Drive, like, how, you'd have to delete it.
2: Oh, it's it a dossier, not, though. Yeah. It's a physical dossier, right? Like, it's like a, like a manila envelope.
1: <laughs> Baby. That's, that's how Maybe. I
0: imagine it. There's nothing else,
1: and and it's it's labeled Team Solid instead of Team Liquid to throw people off. Yeah, yeah, Project Project Solid.
0: <laughs> project Solid, got it, got it. There we go. the The next Metal Gear series really went in a different direction. I appreciate that about it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> strategies from esports teams. <laughs> <laughs> but on that note, uh, do we want to just real quick? Uh, who do you guys think is going to win the whole thing? I know that. Obviously, we're going to know a lot more once we actually see these teams play against each other. But just rapid-fire, Jen, who takes this tournament home? E-Star.
2: Josh? Team Liquid.
0: Wow, okay. tournament? Hey, he's got
2: it. You know what? You know what? If I was going to realistically predict it, I would predict E-Star. But it it would be great if Liquid could do this for me. Please, (laughs) if you're listening, Lowell, play the damage Monk. Let's do this, man.
0: Hey, man, the, the damage mug could catch them off guard. That is a, that is a serious concern. Uh, I, I'd love to see it.
2: I don't know, though, because like, like Jen mentioned, Karazim not like super well-liked in the region, and one of the reasons it works so well is it denies it to your opponent. right? Like, you're taking mm. it, you're getting the damage, you're also telling the other team you can't have this character. So, like, I don't know. I mean, it might catch them off guard, but it doesn't have the same draft impact. Anyways, yeah. I'm not going to use the word that Walter told me not to use <laughs> earlier. But
1: come on, uh, that, that word it. tilts me so hard, and I'm just well, giving you a tough time because I know where it, I know we both know where it comes from. So
2: I, but, I didn't say it, but yeah,
1: <laughs> it's, say it, say it. Fine, go ahead and say it.
2: No, nah, no, nah, it's okay.
1: I'll say but, it. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. euphoria. I'm it's going to be
2: E-Star, though, right? Like, I mean, is, there, is anybody here going to say it's not going to be E-Star? It just feels like it has to be E-Star. Oh,
0: oh, oh I, I wasn't. Oh, where do you go then, Walter? Uh, Cognitive MVP Black. <laughs> <laughs> MVP, MVP Black's an interesting choice. I, uh, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm going to go E-Star, but that's just because I think we've seen more of E-Star recently. I think if you did this tournament uh, a couple months from now, uh, I would probably go MVP Black. But right now, e has been just at the top of their game. And, uh, and I think our panel has been at the top of our game. We just finished two-part podcast here. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, Jen, where can people find you uh, in all of your work?
3: They can follow me on Twitter at F is for flash
0: and, uh, and where can they find your articles?
3: Uh, they can find my articles at Gold Ten.
0: Perfect. And Josh, what about you? Where can people find you?
2: Uh, I'm on Twitter, at ThroneGauntlet, um, so you can always hit me up there. Uh, I love interacting with readers, so feel free to just mention anything. I love to talk to eSports, so that's why I'm here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm on Twitter, and I am the Here's the Storm news editor for the Score eSports. So we have both a mobile app, as well as you can just go to our website and the Here's the Storm section specifically is the score esports.com slash hots. So if you go there, then uh, you can see all that we have about Here's the Storm.
0: Yeah, including that player tracker, which is just a godsend during this crazy offseason time. Walter, where can they find you on, uh, on social media and all that, jazz? Well, I would, I would like to say
1: it's been a, a pleasure, as always, to be on, on the podcast. Chase, you and I have so much fun doing all of our our variety of stuff. And I'd like to thank, since this is my first time podcasting with Josh and Jen, I want to thank both you guys for for being part of this. And uh, you've taught me a lot about uh, Chinese Heroes of the Storm, which (laughs) up until preparing for this podcast was the furthest thing from my mind of interest. So thank you very much for that. And I need to pay a little bit more attention to it so I don't sound like I'm talking out of my ass all the time. So you guys can find me on, on Twitter at CDs underscore LOL. I'll be uh, watching this tournament very closely since I am friends with the cognitive guys and I'll probably be going through every stage of grief and, and determining, Oh my God, they're amazing. Oh my God, they're trash. Oh my God, they're amazing. So go ahead and mock me and, and, you know, talk with me about the games and I can't, I can't wait to watch.
0: Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, you can find me at King on Twitter. I love talking to you guys. I'll probably be live-tweeting through some of these games. Uh, obviously, I Am Cologne is also this weekend, which Walter and I are going to be podcasting with Tim, Magic, 7 Sevenhuesen tomorrow, uh, if you guys want to keep to this space. And there are a bunch of great ways to do that. If you go to iTunes, you can subscribe to the Esports Gambling Hour. We have not yet changed the name officially to Rough Drafts. Uh, mostly because there are a couple things up in the air for Walter and I before we change the title on there. But if you subscribe now, then whenever we do make that ultimate title change, you'll already be in the perfect place. Awesome. Just go ahead and do it. And leave us a review while you're there. Not only does it mean a lot to us, but it really bumps our podcast in terms of the algorithm. So please go do that. Uh, You can also find us on soundcloud.com slash Uh, that's where all of our stuff is being hosted. You'll get it immediately there if you're one of those people that does not like to wait to 30 minutes uh, for the whole thing to render and immediately get onto iTunes. Uh, You can also read on unicorn.com slash community. This is where I put all of the stuff uh, when I do these podcasts. I do little write-ups and everything, so there's a little bit of You know, themes overall of the pod and everything else that kind of ties everything together. So uh, I'd love it if you guys went and checked that out. And again, come back tomorrow as we talk IEM Cologne. And until then, goodbye, Internet.